here we go. <clears throat> Three, two, one. All right, everybody, and welcome to episode number 41 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, before we get to you, I think you're going to pick up on the different style that we're opening up the show with tonight. That's due in part to some of the complaints we've had of foul language, inappropriate jokes, mocking of others, insensitive comments, and an overall lack of research and credibility. Well, tonight, pal, that all changes. Of course, from this point forward, we are going to be a podcast of substance. We are going to do our research, and we are going to expand not only our knowledge, but the knowledge of our listeners. The joking, as you guys have all come to know and not love, is over. Because from this moment on, we will be speaking softly and carrying a big stick. Now, with all that said, Chris... Would you like to see my big stick? (laughs) I'm telling you right now, I am already running on borrowed time tonight. I'm exhausted. The recording of this week's episode has been pushed back further and further and further. 60, 70 times. (laughs) In the week. And not only that, it's been pushed back about five or six times tonight. So, bud, (laughs) we've got to get going on this. (laughs) But let's talk about the... uh amazing news we have for this wednesday yes bud our first snowstorm of the year it's actually pretty amazing that we're getting a snowstorm of this uh size in december because the the chance i mean anything can happen between now and christmas but the chances are increasing greatly for a white christmas here well, dude, it's funny. I was thinking because, you know, as the temperatures are dropping now and, you know, we've got to wear these stupid fucking masks. I, I wear the, uh, what the fuck is the, the gator, right? The gator yeah. mask. So I wear those. But like now I'm realizing with the colder temps, it's actually coming in fucking handy, dude. It would like the wind blown in your fucking face. This thing's helping yeah. me out. <laughs> Disguising you from the public. Yeah. Well, and- <laughs> Truly, I'm trying to avoid all human interaction, but which is funny because I ran into our good friend of the show, Richmond. I ran into Richmond at fucking Tops. I was doing some uh, food shopping and whatnot, and I just realized after seeing him how socially awkward I am. You know, like, I don't feel very uncomfortable with long extended periods of eye contact. So when I'm not wearing the mask, it doesn't really, like, you know, sink in to how uneasy it makes me feel. But I was talking to Richmond. And our faces are completely covered except our eyes. So I, <laughs> I had no, uh, there was nowhere for me to run and nowhere to hide. We were just making complete fucking eye contact. <laughs> you ever go somewhere, you're just not in a very talkative mood, or whatever. You go somewhere and you don't always expect to run into somebody. But when you do, like you just, you're not, almost, you're almost like not prepared to have a conversation yes. with somebody. Dude, I, I go out just... of my way. I go out of my way to hide. <laughs> Well, at least it's easier to do now. I mean, as long as you're not wearing this, like something that that's easy to spot you. But dude, it was funny. I think I told you the other night. So like I was laying down, I was sleeping and I fucking get woken up by my son's Hess truck. The siren starts fucking going off. I swear to God. I mean, we cover all these like supernatural and paranormal shit, but I don't really believe in it. Like I always say, like, I don't really believe in it, but I don't want to fuck with it either. Anyway, the fucking thing goes off and I'm hearing, you know, the sirens going off. And it was in the living room. So I go to turn the fucking thing off. Dude, the thing is on off. I swear to God, the fucking thing was on off. 
And I look at the, t- so I just threw it in my daughter's room, who she wasn't here at the time. So I just threw it in her fucking room and shut the door. So, and then it, the thing stopped. I take a look at the time, bro. It was 3.02 in the morning. The witching, oh, no. The witching hour. The witching yes, hour. yes. I don't know if I could sleep after that. Oh, I was tired. I went right back to sleep. But it was, <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm wondering if this fucking podcast is starting to do shit to me, man. <laughs> My man, you summoned something uh, from the depths. But you know, it's always like a double-edged sword with that type of shit. Because, you know, you know you're know, you obviously afraid of like the demonic presence and whatnot. But, you know, if there is that demonic presence there, that would tell you that there is indeed an afterlife, right? So it's like, right. <laughs> you, you get that you kind of... fucking good. <laughs> we, we put a positive spin on everything here, Chris. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, that has nothing to do with our no, case tonight. Bud, because tonight, bud, for the first time in Between the Cracks history, we don't even have a true crime-related case, bud, but we do have one of the most inspiring improbable survival stories of our generation. You know, we try to stick with that paranormal true crime genre, but we said fuck it with this story because this is just so amazing and I love survival stories. Tonight, Chris, we are talking about the incredible case of Jose Salvador Alvarenga. Now, Jose was a Salvadoran fisherman who, on January 30th, 2014, washed up on the shores of the Marshall Islands. Now, if that wasn't crazy enough for the uh, innocent people walking by, what they come to find out, Chris, is that he was adrift at sea for 14 fucking months. 438 days to be exact, being lost at sea. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine because I surely would have died. The even crazier part is, imagine washing up on a shore not obviously not knowing where he was to people that don't speak your language and not knowing where you possibly could be and it's probably uh just about as bad as he probably thought it could have been because he washed up 6700 miles from his original destination this is so fucking incredible dude i can't even drive to new jersey without throwing a fucking fit <laughs> it's just crazy too because Obviously, you're talking about open ocean. So the fact that his boat didn't even get flipped at some point by a storm is amazing in itself. So let's go back to the beginning, to how this kind of all started. On November 17, 2012, Jose was about to set sail for a fishing trip, like he normally would, uh, with a buddy of his by the name of Ray Perez, which is his usual partner. And this is deep sea fishing, right, Chris? Yes, they're planning on going pretty far out. In fact, we'll we'll take note of this again, but he doesn't even take an anchor with him because he's planning on being so deep that the anchor would be useless. Self-destruct Jesus. sequence activated. So, that doesn't sound promising. And of course, it would have come in handy. <laughs> um, so Alvarenga planned on going out with his friend Ray, but Ray could not join him. So instead... And and basically eager to go out, he finds a replacement for Ray. And his replacement is a man named Ezekiel Cordoba, who is a 22-year-old with a nickname Piñata, apparently, who lives on the end of the lagoon. And he apparently was this big, kind of like in his village anyway, he was like a soccer star 
like a lot of those uh, South American countries or, uh, you know, Mexico area. There's there's a lot of aspiring. It's a big sport in their country. So I'm getting close to pulling the alarm, bud. Watch your step. <laughs> it's a world sport, <laughs> but it's funny, uh, dude. Like what we're talking about here is like you know that that's obviously the story is going to uh, get a little darker very shortly, but the hands of fate are amazing, aren't they? So this guy, Ray, couldn't make the trip. This young kid who had this promising, bright future decided to step up and join him, you know, for the day's work. They barely knew each other. I mean, they were co-workers, but they didn't really have uh, that strong of a friendship. No, and I imagine, too, being 14 years apart as well. I mean, he's 22 years old, and, and Alvarenga's 36. You know, it's like talking to a kid. He's inexperienced. So this kid, like you said, who's coming on to just, you know, you sign up to just make 50 bucks, you know, for maybe working like 12 hours straight, you know, like a hustle. So the guys set sail from this little fishing village of Costa Azul off the coast of, now get this, Chris, Chiapas, Mexico. So as you said, this is in mid-November, right? So Jose and Ezekiel set sail. Right from the start, everything looks fine. And they're making a fucking killing. The weather's beautiful. They're catching all sorts of fucking fish. So they were out, you know, in search of a big payday. They were searching for all these fucking fish. They even caught a shark, for Christ's sake. It seemed like it was going to be a great trip. Like Bill mentioned, they're they're loading up the boat. They get up to about 1,100 pounds worth of fish, I think. And so the boat's packed, so it's full. Because with deep-sea fishing, though, you're really going out, what? between 20 and maybe 50 miles, right? So I'm sure you won't see the coastline, but you're within that perimeter where you could get back in case of an impending storm, I would guess. Yeah, I think I think it was only a couple hours out, right? Yeah. So, right, you, you obviously don't want to put yourself in a situation between the gas you have, which they had on board. They had, I think, 70 gallons of gas. If there's some situation where they're in somewhat of trouble, they don't want to be too far away. As they're making their slow advance towards the coast again. Alvarenga's maneuvering through the, some kind of choppy water. And his experience is actually comes in handy big time here because of how you approach waves, uh, especially large ones, uh, so that you're basically not upended or uh, flipped over by the wave. So he's kind of surfing these waves on this boat, but the weather is starting to get worse and worse. So... Cordoba, being inexperienced, is not used to these conditions. Kids right? probably scared shitless. Yeah, I mean, if your boat is like rocking back and forth, and now the boat is actually filling up with a little bit of water from the waves crashing overboard, which is probably something somewhat normal, and I'm sure something that you know Jose's used to. And the boat was weighed down because they had over 1,100 pounds of fish, dude. So that was a huge fucking payday, and they had right. to eventually dump some of that just to survive, right? Because it was weighing them down too much and they, there was no movement. As you said, the boat was starting to fill with water. So I'm, I'm sure that they were thought at some point that they were going under. So they don't panic quite at first. So what basically Cordoba's job is right now as, you know, a, a deckhand, so to speak, would be to bail the water out of the boat as it starts to come in. So you're, you're heaving buckets of water overboard uh, as much as you can just to kind of keep you know, obviously as much water out of the boat. Because obviously there's not only a concern usually for sinking, but you don't want to flood an engine or something like that. So it gets to the point where the rocking is so bad that Cordoba 
gets very frightened and he starts basically vomiting and crying and refuses to bail anymore and he's kind of just holding on for his life. I don't fucking blame him. Dude, especially if you get seasick. Some people won't even know that they get seasickness until they're in a situation where their waters are rocky. And if you're not used to being in the ocean, these conditions, forget it. I mean, I've never been in conditions. Well, you know what they always say, dude? If that boat is a rocking, don't come a knocking. Hey, I don't know how that applies here, but... Uh... Continue, Chris. <laughs> Alvarenga is, is on the tiller here. He's kind of gripping it very tightly because obviously he's trying to keep the boat maneuvered properly. I think they get this over the radio that basically the coast, there's a, there's a warning basically saying that there's the fishing boats are now uh, barred from going out to sea based on the weather. And of course they're already out to sea. So that doesn't fucking matter to them, but they just now know thanks for the help that they're running into conditions that are going to be bad. Finally, they, they get a little bit of a, I guess a little bit of a break in the sense that the visibility change and the, the cloud cover kind of, lifted enough that they could actually see across the water at 9 a.m he spots uh, a mountain on the horizon and so they were about two hours away from land and their motor starts sputtering and it it ends up dying and it it was not because of a lack of gas it was because it probably had flooded this is uh just a small fucking boat it's just a, a 23 foot topless fiberglass uh boat right so i mean they're not even protected from the fucking elements they're just out there just imagine that just think about that for one fucking second imagine those huge ass waves the fucking rain's pouring down on you You probably got some lightning thunder wind fucking going all over the place and you're in this thing just getting whipped around you got the fish flopping all over the goddamn place i can't even think about being in a situation like that i would just throw myself overboard not if you knew that there were sharks, which is actually one of the things that runs across Cordoba's mind, being young and scared at the time. He was afraid that if the boat were to sink, that they would be end up you know, being eaten by sharks. And Absolutely. I can't, say, I can't say that that would not have run across my mind, especially since some of the fish that they have now caught on board are sharks. Dude, well, that and then, you know, if you that fucking boat overturns and then the, the sharks smell those dead fish or the chum and whatnot you're fucking done yeah it's a feeding frenzy so at this point alvarenga is actually kind of panicking himself so he calls in over the radio which is still working to his boss saying willy 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 the motor's ruined so willy basically responds back saying calm down just give me your coordinates and he goes we our gps isn't functioning we can't give you our coordinates and when the when the clouds parted they actually could see a mountain on the horizon so they they're actually witnessing land, but they can't get to it. Willie tells him to, to throw the anchor, and he goes, we don't have one. And like I had mentioned before, he didn't bring one with him. He knew there wasn't one there, but he didn't bother to get one because they were going deep sea fishing. And in those circumstances, the anchor would not have been able to stop them from moving because it wouldn't have been uh, long enough to stop them to hit the bottom. They didn't have sails or oars either. So there was just, I mean, once... Yeah, was just some- yeah once, once their engine stopped working they were just adrift alvarenga basically says uh so sorry so willie says at this point just stay where you are (laughs) 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 can you imagine he said that stay where you are i'll come and get you Uh, (laughs) he he didn't actually say that he said all right we're gonna come get you and alvarenga says come now i am really getting fucked out here those are the last words that anyone had with them until 
he washes up on the Marshall Islands. That was a, 14 months fucking later. But, you know, Alvarenga's boss, uh, Willie, old Willie there, he organized uh, a search party. He, as you said, Chris, he had no coordinates to work off of. So his guess was as good as anybody's. And they sent the party out and they couldn't find a thing. Now, you got to remember, this is just a 23-foot vessel in this vast fucking sea. So you're basically looking for a needle in a haystack. And especially, you know, if they weren't able to get out there and start searching immediately due to the storm, who knows how far off course they could have drifted in, you know, the precious few hours or, you know, even a day at that point. And apparently, too, even I think it was a couple days after the search party had begun uh they had to call it back in because of another storm now you're talking about time and and not knowing where he was if you're not knowing where he was originally he could be drifting in whatever way he's going well i i should say one thing uh old willie did put together the search party but uh it seems that uh, <laughs> he gave it up after two days chris because of poor visibility so uh that was the end of that willie's kind of washing his hands clean of the entire situation after a mere 48 hours at this point, you know, hours started turning into days, days turning into weeks, and Alvarenga and Ezekiel were just drifting by way of the wind at sea and going further and further away from the point at which they started, making a rescue all the more improbable. They're basically, at this point, there's nothing they can do, right? They're, they're in a boat that's got a dead engine. They don't have anything like they could use to... It's not like they can paddle the boat with something. They can't shoot up a flare. You know, they, they don't have control over anything. And that's the thing. They like, had, like we said, they had about 1,100 pounds of, you know, fish, but they had to dump a lot of that to make the boat a little more maneuverable. So, I mean, even if they did keep a portion of that fish, I mean... I can't imagine eating raw fish like that. I mean, it's not in a sushi restaurant would be uh, <laughs> beneficial to your health, especially with any kind of like bacteria or whatnot. But, you know, we come to find out that, you know, once you get into survival mode, like these guys did, all bets are off. You just go for whatever you can. So as they were alone at sea for, you know, now a couple of weeks, they basically had to become scavengers of anything that they could get their fucking hands on. And that included, you know, them just trying to catch fish, turtles, jellyfish, and seabirds, right? So the interesting thing here is that Alvarenga was pretty skilled at catching fish with his bare hands off the side of the fucking boat. So this guy's doing that. But, you know, there's no way for them to cook this shit. So they have to obviously eat this stuff raw. And in turn... The parasites and the bacteria that exist within the fish are then going to be transferred into them. And we come to find out that's exactly what happens. As we said earlier, too, they had no oars, they had no sails, so they were at the mercy of Mother Nature, as we all are. But uh, they were really in dire straits here. They were just trying to make do with whatever they can, drinking whatever rainwater they could capture, eating jellyfish, fucking seagulls. So, I mean, I just imagine, like, they're, they're probably have a bunch of birds coming around to like you know, the smell of the fish and they're probably just breaking the goddamn things next and then what do they do like just bite into the goddamn thing with the feathers 
after being caught in a storm, you would think, you know, they'd have tons of access to, to rain, but apparently they hit a long stretch where they basically weren't getting any rainfall at all. So they weren't able to collect enough rainfall to stay hydrated just from the rain itself. So, dude, there were reports that they had to drink turtle blood. And apparently, too, the blood within the fish is a decent source of hydration for humans. And not only that, to make matters worse, they started drinking their own urine, which is <laughs> which never seems like a good idea. You got to imagine how the temptation to drink, because you, right, you're, you're, you're floating in, in this absurd amount of water, but you can't drink any of it. I mean, how fucking intense of a mindfuck is that? But as time goes on, dude, we're now four months into this, right? So these guys have been adrift at sea for four months, dude. 120 days. Just wrap your mind around that for a second, right? Just think that's... <laughs> it's an, just an incredible amount of time. And at this point, they're starting to get sick, right? Because of the abundance of raw food that they're eating. You know, eventually, you're going to come in contact with some kind of parasite bacteria whatnot and it's going to start eating you away from the inside out and that's exactly what happened because uh alvaranga started getting sick but you know he was a little bit more mature he was older and a, a bit more skilled able to deal with the situation but ezekiel as you said being a, a younger kid his panic got the best of him and he started giving up hope and you know in turn he got more and more sick and he was starting to lose his will to survive and unfortunately ezekiel cordoba succumbed to uh the elements and whether it be dehydration starvation or uh, a parasitic infection within his body you know so he did pass away four months into this journey now here's the bizarre psychological thing that makes this story um very interesting. After Jose had realized that Ezekiel passed away, he actually kept the body on the boat with him for company. Now, you know, you read that and like, oh my God, that's crazy. But I think I would do the same fucking thing, dude, because um, imagine being out there by yourself and, you know, especially when day turns night and you're hearing all these weird things, at least you might have, you know, you, you, you're probably coming in and out of reality from being adrift at sea for all these months, at least having this this presence next to you might give you some bizarre sense of peace. When someone's stranded anywhere by themselves, not having somebody to converse with and having to find anything you can, like in the movie Castaway, it was, you know, it was that volleyball Wilson. Well, you look for stimulation. He kept uh, Ezekiel's body on board for upwards of a week. I think about six days. Ezekiel made... Alvarenga promised him not to eat his corpse. Jose's now, at this point, losing his fucking mind. He was contemplating suicide, but his religious beliefs apparently stopped him from doing that. And he also promised Cordoba that he would try to survive as long as possible, you know, in the off chance that he would be able to make it to shore and tell his family what had happened to him. He was losing his fucking mind. Then he was getting, like, these rational thoughts of understanding his situation, then he'd go back into this insanity, right? And that's when he realized that he's holding onto this corpse and talking to it and treating Ezekiel like he's still alive. So he made a decision to throw the body overboard. Now, which got me thinking, Chris, if you and I were adrift at sea 
and you had died, I, I think I'd keep you on board with me for a couple days. Because I would want to make sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, Is he we, dead? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to throw you. Uh, I wouldn't want to make the horrifying uh, <laughs> choice to uh, throw you overboard when you still had some life left in I was you. Was fucking sleeping. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I completely understand. People think it's weird, but I do completely understand Jose's rationale for for keeping the body on board with him. Because I mean, yeah, I I don't think anyone's. <laughs> I don't think anyone's at liberty to say anything unless they're put in the situation. <laughs> yeah, we all need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> really. Uh, but it's crazy, too, because think about this. So, as we, we mentioned earlier, you know, Ezekiel was not meant to be on this trip, all right? So, Ray Perez was supposed to go on this trip with Jose Alvarenga. After dumping him overboard, he now basically gets this, like, survivor's guilt, why did I have to be alive? You know, I invited him to fish. This is my fault that he's dead. He wasn't supposed to be here. So now he's living with that on top of being alone out to, out at sea and trying to survive. Your on, body breaking down. You're malnourished. You're, you're losing your fucking mind. I mean, you're talking about the willpower of a fucking god for him to actually keep it together enough to stay alive it, it, it just nothing at that point i think could break you it's absolutely fucking incredible dude this guy's my fucking hero how did, how did he do this well wait, wait, hold on we're giving it away we don't know if he survives at this point right chris so he's well, still, we, we he's, did allude to it in the beginning i'm like you know, yes yeah, so we did but he is still at this point you know after cordoba dies this is only the four month mark Okay, so he had 10 more months to go, Chris, basically a fucking year to survive in in, in this condition. And you can imagine that the condition is only going to worsen and you're going to run into more storms, whatever kind of fucking parasite that you're going to pick up from the fish, the bird. They're even saying he's eating turtles. So, like, I don't even know how you break the shell and you got ah, gross. But uh, God bless him for being able to do it and, and, and knowing how to do it. The, the human will is just so strong. The human will to survive is just so incredible to me. Now, what's also crazy with this story is that, you know, you think about like, you know, all these, you know, ships, like, you know, whether it be cruise lines or these cargo ships going by. Jose said that he saw a number of them, but he was so fucking weak and so far away from them that he wasn't able to even get their attention or even try to call for any kind of help. Not that they would even hear him, because obviously if they're too far away, you're not even gonna be able to you're not even gonna be able to see that small fishing boat. But he didn't even have enough energy to even call out to them. But imagine a frustration where you're seeing other human beings and other vessels going past, but you just can't get to them. How much more frustrating that makes the entire event. Those container ships that passed by, apparently there was about 20 different of those container ships that went across. And I, I think we read this in one of the articles, Chris, that it must also give him a bit of hope, too, that you know maybe he could get close enough to one of them, or maybe there's a piece of land or somebody somewhere might be able to see him eventually at some point. So in a weird way, you know, you feel the frustration, but it must also give you some bit of slim hope. Yeah. He did say that that actually did give him a little bit of a boost when he did see those ships. But we talked about 
stimulation. And without stimulation, your mind is just going to rot. You're going to fucking die and give up hope. So what he did was actually create scenarios in his head. Like if he was standing on a boat, he would envision himself walking through a town. So he would create all these bizarre, well, not even bizarre. He, he would create all these scenarios in his head and almost act them out like a play. Like he was, you know, using, as we said in the opening, astral projection to envision himself in a different location from where he is. And that's probably what kept him alive. I, I can't imagine what length of deck he had to walk on like space there was, but imagine pacing back and forth. He says like he tried to imagine that he was wandering the world and doing all these different things uh, in his head while he was just pacing the boat. Well, seriously, I mean, he has nothing but time on his fucking hands, so... It it, it is just crazy, because I just wonder, when you do that, and obviously it's important for him to do that, like, what that actually does to your mind on the go forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that, like, permanently fuck you up? I would think spending 14 months at sea by yourself, talking to a dead corpse, cracking open turtles and breaking birds' necks, eating jellyfish, (laughs) drinking your own piss. Something tells me after going through this ordeal, there's no coming back to the person that you used to be. Now, when you put it that way, I'm not saying that uh, (laughs) Jose went fucking nuts. I don't know him at all. I'm sure, you know, he's doing well. At least I hope he's doing well. Um, but the main thing here is that he had that intestinal fortitude, that will to fucking survive. Now, Chris, let's move ahead in our story 14 months later, okay, bud? Not only 14 months later, we're going to find ourselves between 5,500 to 6,700 miles away from their starting point in Chiapas, Mexico, Chris, because, you know, and it varies, you know, the direct length from where they left to where uh, Jose ended up is 5,500 miles as the crow flies, but, or as in this case, as the fish swims, but we don't know because, you know, if you're putting in all these, these variants, especially drifting one way or the other, you know, it could be upwards, as we said, 6,700 miles. My God, dude, I can't even wrap my head around that. It's so fucking crazy. Just think about where Mexico is. Where, where, how far out to sea Hawaii is. He's past Hawaii to the point where that he's almost closer to Australia than he is Hawaii. I can't imagine how that was possible. But now, Chris, uh, why don't you tell us uh, where old Jose ends up? This is kind of, uh, you could say, luck, too. I mean, eventually he had to run into something. But you have to remember what we're talking about here now. He's able to keep himself alive for 14 months, which affords, with with that additional time, with every day, month that goes by that he's able to keep himself alive, he's drifting closer and closer to something or someone that's gonna, going to be able to help him. And so that's what eventually happens here. And one day, he awakes to the sound of shorebirds. Obviously, that's something that probably not used to hearing, so it kind of perks you up a little bit. So he comes up on the out of the boat to see that he's surrounded by these turquoise waters and a an, an atoll in the water. 
basically like an island. He's not sure if he's hallucinating at this point. I would think that would be the case, right? I mean, who knows what's real and what's not at this point? What's reality and what's made up in your fucking head? Yeah, because he's been so good at doing that and to to imagine a, a different life that he's having that he has to actually wait and see how long this lasts. And he realizes that, you know, a hallucination would not last this long. So now he is coming up with things and said, obviously he's extremely weak. So he's thinking of any type of disaster now that could happen. He could go off course again and drift back out to open sea, which apparently he said happened before. So he's staring at land and this tiny island, he said, that's no bigger than a football field. For all he knows, it's uninhabited. He doesn't see uh, any roads or cars or anything like that. He takes his knife and cuts away the buoys that are stretched out on the boat, which is what he was using for stability. And so he's hoping that maybe this will help his boat drift in further. It does, and he actually gets within 10 yards from the shore and dives into the water. He's paddling uh, to get through it, he gets tossed by a big wave right onto the beach. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it, isn't, it, it wasn't going the other way, you know, like a fucking uh, riptide, oh <laughs> a rip current that takes him back out to sea. Can you imagine? Drowns in three feet of water. Because he probably had next to no energy, right? So you're saying 10 yards. Yeah. That's probably all he had in him. And he's extremely famished to the point where he is just skin and bones. And he says, you know, the only thing that was left was my intestines, gut, skin and bones. There was no meat. He was very, very skinny. So he's now on this small island, which is the Tile Islet, which is part of the Ebon Atoll, which is makes up this Republic of Martial Lands. So the Martial Lands is where he's ultimately at here. Go figure. It's one of the remote. It's one of the most remote spots on Earth. <laughs> well, at least there was somebody there waiting for him. And sure enough, there was. Thankfully, and and they're saying at this point. That if a boat left from this location searching for land, they would either have to go 4,000 miles northeast to hit Alaska or 2,500 miles southwest to Brisbane, Australia. Oh my God. So it is very remote. If he had missed this spot, he could have drifted to potentially Papua New Guinea, which is right just north of Australia, if he was able to stay alive. And who knows how much more time he had, you know? Right. I mean, it basically I mean, seems yeah. like he's right at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. So he he's now standing right across from this canal, and he sees a beach house. Can you imagine seeing a house, knowing that there might be people in there, but having, like, literally no energy left? And he gets spotted by the owners of this house, and they look across, they see this guy... He's yelling, obviously, because he's like, oh my god, I've, I've actually run into somebody. This guy says he looked very weak, hungry, and the first thought he had was, oh my god, maybe it was someone that fell off a ship and he had to swim to shore. They don't speak his language, so he's trying to draw, basically, what happened to him, but he can't figure out a way how he's going to write on a piece of paper that he just drifted 7,000 miles from Mexico. They you know, feeding him, and they eventually will contact a doctor to to have them come out to where they are to, to assist Alvarenga and, and kind of nurse him back to health. But, like, he's been found. So he is now in the hands, and 
we can't say that he's fine at this point because you have to remember there is still a lot of health issues that he probably has you mentioned and and, and one dude <laughs> that we, I think we talked about off air was uh liver flukes and i had to look these things up and oh god they're so fucking raunchy and apparently they come from eating raw and uncooked fish and they're parasites and it's a food parasite so you know eating that eating the raw fish and then that parasite is then transferred into humans now the interesting thing on a side note where you can impress your friends at parties is that liver flukes are hermaphrodites chris did you know that I don't think I wanted to know, but thanks for telling <laughs> But, dude, I mean, which makes them all the more uh, mysterious and um, ominous, I should say. Even though he survived this journey, his body was infested with these parasites. So, at this point, you know, it's still touch and go as to whether or not he's going to survive. Now, could you imagine having survived this ordeal for 14 months, over 6,000 miles, you know... Adrift alone at sea, 438 days at sea, only to hit land and then die of a parasitic infection. <laughs> My God, could you imagine how terrible that would, that would be? be? Worst tragedy of all time. But uh, obviously, as we said, he did not pass away. He did survive. They were able to get him the help that he needed. And within a week's time, the uh, parasites were killed off and he was able to eat and drink on his own and able to walk again not only that dude so he survived this ordeal and he you know imagine you know he's drifting in and out of consciousness and what's real what's not and to make matters crazier he he was bombarded by the media reporters news channels everybody wanted to interview him and talk about this insane story you know obviously like not that reporters do this. They're supposed to, you know, kind of authenticate before they put out a story. But they love to twist words, don't they? Um, so they uh, are trying to authenticate this. They're trying to figure out, you know, where he actually came from. Is this bogus? Slowly but surely, they're getting information from uh, back from his home, from his boss. They identified the boat to make sure that's the boat that went missing that day, the log that, you know, the search parties, everything. So it all matches up. And now he he's, he's just in this huge spotlight about this survival story. But he does, of course, come back to that survivor's guilt again. He He's thinking of Cordoba, and, you know, it's not fair that he is the only one sharing this survival story, that he doesn't have him with him. Uh, obviously feels terrible that he asked him to come out uh, on what was supposed to be a somewhat quick fishing trip that he was supposed to get $50. He was a young 22-year-old, you know, a, a big-time soccer player. So obviously all that stuff that he has to deal with, but he is able to reunite with his family, which is huge, of course. And uh, hopefully he his life, his day-to-day -day life, is okay now because there was a, apparently a stretch of time where he couldn't even look at water terrible ptsd he had trouble sleeping thing. yeah he couldn't yeah. sleep he couldn't look at water the, the the fear of it was incredible to him and he even became anemic after this so you, know, you can imagine the the effect that this had on his immune system because you know everything was probably pretty much close to death his organs were shutting down but miraculously they made this comeback 
But to what degree? Obviously, there had to be some permanent damage. And we're starting to see it in the mental and the physical aspects of his life. But with all that said, Chris, he survived. He fucking survived the journey that 99.9% of us would not. And he has some inspiring words. Uh, He says, I suffered hunger, thirst, and an extreme loneliness and didn't take my life. You only get one chance to live, so appreciate it. And my man, if anyone is is more qualified to make that statement, it is Alvarenga. I told you this was a feel-good story, Chris. I mean, it started off a little dark, and, you know, there were definitely some bumps in the road there, but uh, I told you this was a story of inspiration and a magnitude of triumphancy that eagles dare not dream of. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Chris, that is it. That is the remarkable and triumphant story of Jose Salvador Alvarenga. I'm done with the fucking email. I mean, nobody emails me anymore. So uh, BTC POD 2020 Gmail, all right, if you want to get us there. But more importantly, if you want to reach out to us, you can get Chris at the Between the Cracks podcast on Facebook or you can contact me directly at the Between the Cracks podcast on Instagram. I will answer you back ASAP. And if you have, oh, oh, and I was supposed to set up the Patreon page. I fell behind. I've been busy with work and everything else. So I'm going to try to have that done by next week. Also, Chris, our merch just keeps selling. And if anybody wants to buy any merch, I have been designing some new shirts just to basic btc pod emblem which i really fucking like and some of our listeners seem to be liking too so i will put the link to that in uh the show notes if anybody's interested in buying any merchandise so chris with all that said bud how about we just drift ashore with this episode and call it an, yes, and call a night. So without any further ado, I say we bid the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, farewell. <laughs> Woo, wait, do I have my work cut out? Oh, baby, you probably can cut out the first y- Yes, yeah, I got a hundred minutes, minutes even. Fuck. Oh, yeah, Zico, you're right. Zico, I'm not even paying attention. So, whatever you think you should say, just fucking say it. So, on the 17th of November of 2012, uh, Jose. So, on the 17th of November 2012, Jose, just like any other time he'd want to set sail, uh. Hold on. For his livelihood, so he he knows. Oh my god, dude! Woo! I'm fucking struggling tonight, boy. Um, <laughs> because tonight, Chris, we are talking about the improbable survival. Kate. Oh my god! Because <laughs> Jose was a very skilled fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. All right, Chris. Is that funny? <laughs> Tonight, Chris. Oh, God. Oh, I'm getting delirious. 
Let's do, I'll go into that and then we can go backwards. Cause I didn't, I should at least mention what the fuck is so special about the case. And I don't know if that was actually, cause it was his boss, but was that his boss's boat? Oh, hold on one second. I just got to piss quick. You find out the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is truly, truly falling apart.